So we're beginning a series called Faces of Our Faith, and we're going to be looking at some folks in the Bible that we may not know a lot about or anything about in the case for me with this story, or some people that we know some things about, but we may not know some interesting details about them. Uh, We're going to look at them in a different way over the next few weeks. So this week we're looking at Zelophehad's daughters. Now, the world-renowned poet laureate of the South from Red Bay, Alabama, which just happens to be seven miles from my hometown, once said, sometimes it's hard to be a woman. Tammy Wynette was right, and she's still right. Being a woman in a patriarchal society, yeah, that's got to be tough. And we have to acknowledge that patriarchy is still alive and well in the 21st century. Some, ha- some habits are very hard to break. We're not going to talk today about how, per- how patriarchy gets perpetuated from generation to generation or the damage that it inflicts, not just on women, but men too. But patriarchy is definitely the underlying context of today's passage. And I, and I want us to take a look at this particular scripture and how the system of patriarchy was set aside for the benefit of these five women. Like I said, I'd never heard this story before. And it has been a wonderful revelation to me. And I've thought about uh, our theme of faces of our faith, and that led me to think about faces of people that have been faith to me. And I have so many people that I could name. But the very first person that I thought of when I thought of someone who was a face of my faith was my grandmother Sparks. That's my grandmother (laughs) and my papa, Ross. I can't look, I'll start crying. (laughs) Her name was Sybil Bernice Sparks, and she was born in 1919, and she passed away in 2004. She lived 85 good years. She had 16 siblings, two of whom died in early childhood. Her father was Cleve Ivy, and her mother was Ella. Cleve was 6'7", and Ella was 4'6". Clearly, I get Ella's DNA. Cleve and Ella were farmers, but Cleve was also a Methodist preacher. And I didn't know that till this week till I started talking to my dad about this. My mamaw Sparks walked with the Lord her whole life. I never saw her as anything other than kind and patient and generous. She had nine children with my papa Ross, and together they lived on a farm and grew cotton. My papa was also the song leader in their church, New Bethel Baptist Church. Now, both of them could play piano, and both of them could sing very well, but I mostly remember my mamma singing. She had this loud, booming singing voice that would not be quieted when she was singing, even if she was the loudest in the room. She had a great voice. My dad told me that when his dad would lead the music, there were a lot of times that he was not too sure where to come in. Uh, for the song, and so he would look at my look and listen at my mamaw who was at the pi- who was at the piano to begin the verse. Because my papa was a man, he had the title of song leader in the position of being up front and center, leading the congregation. But my mamaw was the real song leader. My papa died when I was nine, so I don't have many memories of him. But I have some really sweet memories of my grandmother. We would always get around her piano in her home at Christmas me and my cousins, and she would lead us in Christmas songs, and we would sing with her. She could out-sing all of us. Every Sunday for years, she made lunch for her whole family. 
nine kids, all the grandkids. It was a lot of food. It was a table that, that seated about 10 or 12 people. And from the entire table was covered with food. It was hard to even get your own plate in to sit at the table. Not that the kids got to do that. That was all the adults. And she always had a big bowl of hot dogs and buns for us kids who were not sophisticated enough to appreciate turnip greens. I still don't, by the way. She developed Alzheimer's in her later years and had to be placed into assisted living. She eventually would forget who her children and her grandchildren were, but there was one thing that she never forgot, the hymns that she had sung her entire life. She would play the piano for the residents and would sing every word without missing a beat, loud and clear and with the utmost conviction. My mamma had sung theology her entire life. A hymn is just theology in rhyme and key. A hymn can communicate something about God and that is worth holding on to. My mamma forgot everything on this earth, but she held on to the one thing that really mattered. And that was Jesus. She was a face of faith for me. This text from Numbers gives us five faces of our faith, and their names are Mahala, Hoglaw, Milkal, Noah, and Tirsal. And yes, Rose said them far better than I did. I just can't quite get that Hebrew, whatever that is, in there. Rose, you did great. That was beautiful. It was perfect. It's important that we know these women's names. And I had to apologize to Rose ahead of time. I was like, I'm so sorry you've got to read this, hard, this terribly hard passage. But she did fantastic. But saying their names felt right to me. And saying their names correctly felt even more right. I mean, we like for people to say our name correct, right? So you will hear all five of their names during this sermon. Mahala, Hoglaw, Milkal, Noah, and Tirshal. The scripture says they boldly came before Moses, the priest, the clan chiefs, and the entire congregation. There are those among us, and I am one of them, that despise and really, really, really despise asking for help. There's something so humbling about saying, I need something. There's something so, um, it just gets at us because we don't like to ask for help. And I will look for every and inner answer, any answer under the sun before I ask somebody, hey, I really can't fix this and I need your help. But having to ask for help in front of all these people, Moses, the priests, the clan chiefs, the congregation, there's a lot of people. If it were me, I probably would have asked for a private audience with Moses. Or I would have just maybe whispered my request. But not Mahala and Hoglaw and Milkal, Noah and Tirsal. They boldly asked for what they needed. The word boldly means in a confident and courageous way, showing a willingness to take risk. These women were confident, courageous, willing to take a risk with no expectation that it would result favorably for them. Why would they have an expectation that it would result favorably, favorably for them? There's nothing in the Hebrew scripture, scriptures that indicates that it would have. But they did it anyway. And I love that in verses 5 through 6, Moses disappears inside the tent and asks God what he should do. Those two things make all the difference in the world retreating away from the noise and asking God, what should I do? You and I need to be people who know how to do this. 
when we have decisions to make, especially life-altering decisions, we have to turn off all the noise and the distractions and the voices. We get all the advice we can. We go to people that we trust and we believe to be full of wisdom, and we ask them, what do you think I should do? We get all those voices in our head, and we need to do that. That's important. We can read a book. We can read a blog. We can listen to a good podcast. We need to get ourselves informed through all the noise that is available to us, good noise, good voices, and here's the thing. God is speaking through all of those things. Those voices are life-affirming. They build our faith. They speak truth and wisdom into our lives. But at some point, we have to shut all that down. We have to disappear inside our tent and ponder all the ways that God has been speaking to us and ask God to speak to us there. God has been known to speak to me through a Game of Thrones episode a TLC song, my children, dear Lord, my children, a sermon or a song, the book, Eat, Pray, Love, the movie, Life of Pie, my dearest trusted friends, my mom, all the things. We might only need a minute or two weeks inside the tent. We will have to get quiet so we can hear. We need to disappear inside the tent where we are alone with God. And then Moses actually asked God what to do. We don't see many examples of that in the Hebrew Scriptures, do we? Where we see our heroes of our faith actually ask God, what do I do here? They are like us, just charging ahead with thinking they know best. And the consequences can be disastrous. But just for a moment, imagine with me if Abram had asked God, what he should do when he and Sarah were at Pharaoh's house. What if he asked God, hey, God, are you okay that I lie to the Pharaoh and tell him that this is my sister instead of my wife? Or imagine if Abram asked God, how do I keep my wife safe here? But Abram didn't ask, and Abram did lie to the Pharaoh, and his wife was placed in Pharaoh's harem for a while, not a few days or weeks. It is... What's going on between her and the Pharaoh is exactly what you think is going on between her and the Pharaoh. They're not playing phase 10 and eating grapes. Imagine with me if Sarah had asked God if it was okay if she made Abram sleep with Hagar so they could have their promised child. She was, like a lot of times I am, scared and fearful that God's not going to come through on that promise of a child. But what if she had asked? What if she had asked God? Imagine with me that God could have had better intentions for those women. Not a patriarchal intention, but one that would have been life-giving to them. I love that you said that this morning, Brian, because that's exactly where I was headed with that. What if it was not a patriarchal intention? What if that's just assumed that it what if they just assumed that it was? I mean, the other cultures around them were patriarchal. Maybe they should have asked. I'm not saying that's the case. I don't know. I'm just asking you to imagine with me what if. Mahala, Hoglaw, Milkal, Noah, and Tirsal, they should have been dealt with in a more patriarchal manner. Everything in the scriptures teaches us that, shows us that. There's the demonstration of that over and over. But this story is a 180-degree departure from the ancient Hebrew God that we thought we knew. 
But Moses asked, and God surprises us with the answer. Not only do we struggle with shutting down the noise, the voices, the distractions, we just also struggle with asking God. We rely on ourselves. We're in control. We know what's best for us. We are all Sarah's taking advantage of others out of fear. We are all Abram's not treating one another with care and love out of fear. These stories in the Bible, they are our stories. This might be who we have been or this is who we can be making disastrous decisions. We don't ask because we think the answer might be contrary to what we want. Or we already know the answer is contrary to what we want, so we don't ask. But imagine if God surprised us. Imagine a God who loves us more than we could comprehend. A God who is not mad at us. And for the record, God is not mad at you, and God is not mad at me. What if we... Imagined a God, what if imagined a God that he is pleased with us and what we have done with our lives? What if we really do make God happy and not exasperated? What if we don't get on God's nerves and we just ask him? I don't really want to get gender specific here, but since the story is about five women, I kind of have to. I'm a woman who struggles to believe that my voice matters and that it should be heard. I shared with you a few weeks ago that one of my coping mechanisms that I have unhealthily relied upon is to keep my thoughts to myself. Why would anything that I have to say be helpful in this conversation? How could my thoughts be helpful in this situation? I, I'm not sure that my idea is good, and I don't want to be rejected, and so on. After being around other women my whole life, I know that I'm not the only woman who struggles with taking up space with her words. I know there are men who do this too. Speaking up and speaking out, it is so uncomfortable. And here's the truth. We just might be humiliated. We might be rejected. We might not get the response we want or need. We might be inarticulate or inelegant with our language. We might be perceived as bossy, aggressive, a know-it-all. Or someone might just think that we are, well, you know what women are called. But what if none of those things are true? What if we decided after getting away by ourselves and hearing distinctly from God, from others, and from God himself, herself, how to deal with something, we choose boldness, we choose risk, and we just say it. We just ask it. What if we choose to believe ourselves, believe to see ourselves someone as God does, someone worthy, someone good enough, smart enough, resilient enough, to speak up, to do hard things, to take a risk. This is how we find out how God truly meant for us to be when we find our own voice and we use it. Not to tear down and destroy people. Being a jerk to people is never the right thing. But we can say hard things and we can say things that are authentic and honest. We can be Mahala. Hoglo, Milcal, Noah, and Tirsaw. We can be Miriam and Deborah and Ruth and Joseph and David and Moses and Phoebe and Peter and Junia and Chloe. I can be my grandmother singing loud and strong, speaking loud and strong with no care of what anyone thinks. I can use my voice in ways that are helpful to build people up. And I can also speak words of caution and restraint, words of admonishment out of love for somebody that's about to take a bad path. Words that say, no, you do not get to treat me like that. 
words that are bold enough to ask for what I need and capable of doing hard things. I don't imagine that my mamma had any fears of leading the music, even though her faith tradition told her that she was not allowed to lead anyone because of her gender. She just did it without apology. She took a risk. And I've lost my place in my text, so give me just one second. Hold on. Oh, it got cut off. Sorry. Okay. So now I want to share a personal story with you about this disappearing inside our tent and asking God what to do. When I was in the process of coming to Imago, there was a point in this in the story in the in the the way the thing was going that I became fearful. Um, I I was afraid of what it might do to my son. I was afraid that. He would hate me if I moved him far away, all those things. I didn't really ask trusted friends what they thought about it. I just deciding this on my own was allowing my thoughts to run away with me, and they were not, they were not good thoughts, and they were not right thoughts. And so I, out of fear and insecurity, I reached out, back out to Imago and said, I can't, I can't do it. Thank you for this process, but I can't do it. And I thought that I was being selfless. I thought that I was sacrificing myself for the good of my kid. I felt a little bit like a martyr. I know we as parents feel that sometimes. But the only noise that I was paying attention to were those fears inside my head that were saying to me, you're risk averse, remember? What if they don't like you? What if you get up there and you don't like them or Peoria? How will you survive being eight hours away from your children and grandchild? These voices spoke of fear, insecurity, and unworthiness, but they were lies. I have three really good girlfriends that I rely on for trusted advice and wisdom. They just so happen to be in the room with me this morning. My friend Connie and Denise and Jan drove from Alabama to see me this weekend and to be with you guys this morning. So one night, after I'd already sent out my email to the search team, I was sitting with my good friends at Jan's house, of course, we were all neck deep, neck deep in COVID, so we were like spread out with our own bottle of wine and our own little snacks in Jan's backyard. And I'm telling them what I've done. And they were just really quiet. And Jan spoke up and said, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'd have done that if I was you. I'm like, has Jan had too much to drink or is she speaking some truth here? I don't really know. I mean, we, anyway, we won't go down that road. You get the point. You get the point. But I thought, oh my, why didn't I just ask my trusted friends what they thought about it to begin with instead of just relying on my own fears? She gave me some really good reasons why I probably was wrong to turn it down, and they were all good, really good reasons. And I said, well, it's too late. I said, no. A few days later, I met with another um, friends of mine that I trust and love, Sam and Dawn, and I was telling them the same story, and Sam, who's a, a preacher too, he, he made the same face that Jan did. He was like, oh, I don't, I don't know if I'd have done that if I was you. And I'm like, why? What, what, what? And he was like, man, he said, Melinda, I read everything on Imago's website, all their five distinctives, their story, everything. Melinda, this is you. This is who you've always been wanting to be. This is you. And I said the same thing to him. Well, it's too late. I told them no. 
few days after that, I get a text message for someone on the, from someone on the search committee. I think it was Justin. I'm not entirely sure. He asked me, hey, would you reconsider? So I found a spot where it could just be me and God. And I did the one thing that I really should have done from the beginning. I should have asked God. God, apart from my insecurities and my fears and feeling of unworthiness, what do I do? And we didn't have to go too long to that process because God had already told me what to do. Through my friends, through Sam, and then through the search committee. So I said yes. I took a risk. Now, I do have to tell you that there is a follow-up to this story in chapter 36. And some patriarchy is it eventually included in this narrative. That's the sad part of this story, but we're not going to go to the sad part. Let's just focus on this good in Numbers 27. But just for a moment today, in chapter 27, we get to imagine... What if patriarchy was never the intention of God? What if women were never meant to be silenced? What if through the story we're not, we are supposed to see a God who surprises? All because we retreat in silence and just ask. We do not have to make ourselves smaller to accommodate others. We do not have to be silent out of fear, insecurity, or even a sense of selflessness. We can use our voice, like Mahala, Haglo, Milkal, Noah, and Tirsal. We can ask, I need the land. Can you give me the land? We can also say, I need, what do you need? Say it, speak it, ask it. Glennon Doyle says, I've seen what happens out in the world and inside our relationships when women stay numb, obedient, quiet, and small. Selfless women make for an efficient society, but not a beautiful one, or true one, or just one. Ask. God might just surprise you with the answer. <laughs>